Today, we're going to take a quick look at market research. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide episode number 69. Nice. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. I have been hinting at it for a little while, but I do have a big announcement to share with everyone. The big announcement is that I have accepted a game design job at the company Stardock. You might have heard of Stardock before. They've made series like Galactic Civilizations, Sins of a Solar Empire, and The Political Machine. And as some of you longtime listeners know, I love 4X and deep strategy games. So I'm super pumped that I'll be able to work on them and get some actual non-solo indie experience. I start the job here in the new year. And I'm really excited. I've been feeling for a little while like there was a gap in my knowledge, especially when it comes to working within the industry. The knowledge is also something that a lot of people want to know uh, because I think working in an actual studio is a little bit more financially secure than doing the indie dev thing. So there's plenty of people who want to get into doing games for money but don't want to do indie dev. And therefore, I think there's desired information there from the audience. But I was never able to give my perspective on it because it's not something I had done myself. So I hope by me going on this journey, I'll have a lot to share and tell about what I've learned. And then maybe you too can have that information for your game dev journey. This does mean, however, that I will have a full-time job. In the days of me having a full-time schedule to make content and do indie dev and all of that, uh, well, they'll have to be changed a little bit. My schedule is going to have to, yeah, allow for the fact that I'm going to be working at a normal job. So first off with the podcast, um, don't worry, the podcast isn't going anywhere. I will continue to make podcast episodes. However, I do think I'm going to reduce the episodes to two a month instead of three. Patrons will still pick an episode every month, and the other episode per month will alternate between a bonus episode and a regular episode. If you've been coming to the streams lately or just talk to me on Discord or wherever, you'll know that I got a little burned out on the podcast at the end of this year, and I think this new schedule will give me a little bit more breathing room and time to refine my passion for writing the episodes. So yeah, from here on out, uh, there'll be two episodes a month. And I think that'll be better for the long-term quality and survivability of the show. Okay, the other things that need to be addressed with the new schedule. What's happening to the game I'm working on right now? I'm going to continue working on it, but the launch date will definitely be pushed out, likely to the end of 2023. I'm actually really pumped about that project, and when it's all said and done, I think it'll be the best game that I've made so far. If you don't know, I've been working on a 2D auto-battler roguelite, and to put it concisely, I guess it has gameplay elements of Super Auto Pets and Slay the Spire, with 2D sprites and a 3D world JRPG aesthetics. I feel really good about where it is, and I'm excited to continue working on it, and as you know, I was working on it on stream, which my streams were at Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. Well, now that I'll have a new job during these times, I'll have to stream some other time. I do want to continue streaming. Uh, To tell you the truth, I just like 
doing it too much. I've had a really good time getting to know everyone through the chat, and we've shared a lot of knowledge and laughs, and it's just been great. Something I genuinely look forward to, uh, but I, unfortunately I will have to find a new time to stream now, which will probably be nights for me. So yeah, I'm going to ha- need some time to figure out a new routine. I wouldn't expect regular streams to be back until February, and I'll make announcements so it'll be easy to find the new schedule. But yeah, between now and February, I don't know how much I'll stream. But when February comes around, hopefully I'll have my new routine set. And yeah, everything will be uh, back on schedule. And lastly, for the announcement, I just want to give you a look at what is coming in 2023. Uh, I had a bunch of stuff planned because I kind of took this job out of nowhere. So yeah, it kind of jumbled up all of my plans. But if you're a patron, you'll know I've been hinting at your support going towards a new form of content. And this content was going to come out in quarter one of 23. But this, like I said, this new job thing kind of came out of the blue. And yeah, it's kind of messed up the schedule. The new content is still going to happen. And I'd actually like to announce it here. I am working on putting together a game developer game show. I've hired some people from our community to help me do it. And yeah, it's the biggest content project I have ever done. And the concept is still very early. But the idea is to have a sort of who wants to be a millionaire mixed with are you smarter than a fifth grader style game show, but focused for game devs. And we'll have different categories focused on coding and art and game design. And I'm hoping to get other game dev content creators that you know on the game show. I think it'll be a really fun way to build and strengthen our community. So be on the lookout for information about that. In addition to that, I've started to dabble with some YouTube ideas that I think it's a little bit more efficient for both my and your time. A YouTube video is not something I have to be there live for. I can make it on my free time and you can watch it on your free time. So our schedules don't have to line up like they do for a live stream. So yeah, I'm sure I'll announce when the YouTube stuff is out, but be on the lookout for that. The best way to find and kind of follow that information and be... uh, there for the announcements is to follow our community discord there's an open invite link to that in the show notes lastly i just want to say how appreciative i am of our community for the last two and a half years everyone has been totally supportive of me and each other for that matter i feel like we've truly grown into a community of game devs and we're imperfect game devs who skew more towards the beginner and intermediate levels But despite our imperfections as a community, I think we've really grown together and I know that's helped me improve both as a game dev and a content creator and just my overall happiness. And I've seen others within our community get so much better at the hobby that they love. And I'm just really, really proud of our community. And I hope you are too. But yeah, I really wanted to say thank you. Whether you're a patron who's generously given their own money or someone who has participated in the community discord, or everyone who just took the time to listen to an episode. Thank you so much. Your support over the last two and a half years has changed my life. So thank you. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the game dev challenge. The game dev challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners And it's intended to be a 15 to 30 minute exercise to cement the themes of this show. The last episode was tips for better visual effects. 
and I challenge the listeners to show off a visual effect and talk about its pieces, whether that be the layering methods, the anticipation climax aftermath, or whatever else they wanted to say about their effect. We had a few really solid submissions, but as you know, there can only be one winner, and the winner for the episode 68 Game Dev Challenge is Chair. Chair's post has an awesome video um, showing off the effect, and I will just read the text that came with it. Chair says, here's an effect I created for an attack that the first boss of my current game will use against the player. The initial laser beam is small and brief, and it's not the part that actually hurts you. The effect slowly growing and the electricity effect growing faster, slowly building up anticipation. The slow buildup helps not only to give the player a chance to dodge, but also sell the impact of the climax, where the sphere fully encompasses the radius. The electricity slows down and the flash of light quickly goes off. In the aftermath, the effect simply fades out and a blast mark is left on the ground. During the fight, the player will be faced with a barrage of these, so I made sure to make it clear which phase the attack is currently in. The slow growth indicates the anticipation has just begun. The warning radius reaching the full size and stopping for a moment indicates the climax is about to begin, and the decal indicates that the attack is over. And I'll see if I can describe this video to you from Chair. Um, well, I think they did a good job describing it in their words but yeah basically a laser shoots the ground and then from that spot grows this ball of electricity and it looks like if you're caught within the ball during the climax you take damage after the climax happens there's like a circular scorch mark left on the ground i think chair did a really good job of breaking the effect into its three pieces the build up the climax and the aftermath and something that I didn't mention in the last episode, but I think really um, is shown nicely or showcased here, is that it doesn't just make for a good effect, it also makes for good gameplay in this sense, because it gives the player a chance to dodge by showing this build-up effect. It offers some counterplay. Imagine if it was just an instant explosion with only a climax, and the player didn't know it was happening until it was able to hurt them. That wouldn't be a very fun boss to fight, but because this happens in three parts... The player can recognize that build-up phase and have an opportunity to do some counterplay and dodge. So yeah, I would encourage you to go onto our community Discord and look at the effect yourself. I think it really shows off the thing I was talking about, about the build-up, the climax, and the aftermath. And once you see it, you will know why Chair is the winner of the episode 68 Game Dev Challenge. So congratulations to Chair. For the episode 69 Game Dev Challenge, we're going to revisit a classic. The challenge is to present your Game Dev New Year's resolutions. This is something that we do every year around this time, and I've talked about it a few times in the past before, but essentially I want you to make actual quantitative goals for next year uh, when it comes to game development and pick goals that you can achieve. I think this is a really, really good idea um, for anyone who's interested in game dev because, I don't know, it gives you something to chase, I guess. It keeps you from just wandering from prototype to prototype or just kind of never really completing things. I mean, at least with goals in front of you, you're chasing something. This can be really big and ambitious goals like releasing your first game on Steam. Or it can be something even smaller, like maybe you want to participate in five game dev challenges this year. 
I usually personally like to pick some amount of game jams that I'm going to participate in. I missed out on some game jams this year. And yeah, I think going into 2023, I want to participate in at least three game jams in the year. I think that's going to be my game dev resolution. So yeah, I'd really encourage you to go on to the game dev discord and write yours down. It's so much better to write your goals down somewhere. And our discord is the perfect place to do that. By the way, if you're someone who put in your game dev resolutions from last year, it'd be really cool to see you come back and make a post about how it went. So yeah, if you wrote down your game dev resolutions on our Discord last year, come back and tell us how it went. What went good, what went bad, what would you change? I think there's a lot for other people to learn based on that information. So yeah, to participate, all you got to do is go on to the Game Dev Field Guide Discord, go to the Game Dev Challenge channel, and write down your resolution. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today is a patron-picked episode, and it's on doing market research and making games that sell. And you might think to yourself, I'm just a hobby game dev, I don't really care if my games sell or not. But I think games that sell, sell for a reason, And being able to at least identify why a game sells is a strong skill when making your own games, even if your intention is to never act on that information. If you're doing this as a solo indie dev for money, then this skill is absolutely necessary. It's maybe one of the most important. So either way, I hope you leave here today with a better understanding of finding that project that you can actually make money with. And I'm going to do my best today to not sound like one of those internet gurus (laughs) trying to sell you a course. A lot of the information I have for you today comes from Chris Zukowski, who is my number one reference when I'm considering this stuff for myself. He hosts a website called How to Market a Game if you want to check it out. And the blog specifically is something I would highly recommend as there's a ton of good information on there. Okay, so what is doing market research? Well, it's part of the pre-production and planning phase, and you're making a mistake if you're not including market research in your pre-production and planning. The goal is to get a feel for the market and figure out and answer these questions. What is popular? What is trending? What are the niches? What will these niches and trends be like when the game's finished? so on and so forth. And that last point is actually really important to consider. Don't just figure out what the market is like right now. Think about what it'll be like when the game is finished. There can be a long time between the start and end of a project, so you want to make sure that you're looking forward as best you can. What exactly are you looking for when you're doing this market research? Well, that's where it gets a little tricky. The metrics for this stuff is one part science, one part psychology, and one part psychic mind reading. Let's go from the least scientific ways to the most. How do you figure out what is popular? Well, the first method is to just get a sort of feel for the audiences out there. And this is what I meant by the psychic mind reading. I don't really know how to describe it to you, how to get your finger on the pulse, but I usually do it by looking at what kinds of games are getting content made for them. I get tapped in by checking out what games are getting YouTube videos, Twitch streams, and TikToks made about them. And I try my best to classify and sort them based on the audience or genre or whatever. Now, if you wanted to get a bit more scientific, we could look at some actual data. There's a few places to get data. I like Steam Charts and Steam Spy, the websites, although it can be difficult to see usable trends in the free data sets that are provided there. 
But my other favorite place to get data is from the website I mentioned earlier, how to market a game. Specifically, the blog section has some great charts and figures posted from time to time. My favorite, which I'll link in the description, is focused on figuring out what genres do people like the most. Chris Zukowski says the biggest marketing decision you make about your game is what genre it is. And I think that's 100% true. The majority of your financial success for the average indie dev is going to be decided by what genre of game you make. And I don't mean to say you have to pick a popular genre. There are definitely games that are not in popular genres that still find success. But it's good to know what people out there are liking, because even if you don't make a game in that genre, maybe you can borrow some mechanics or aesthetics or just some of the game's DNA that will help your game reach out to those wider audiences. So next we have to consider that genres that are popular will also have a lot of competition because every other dev doing it for money also sees the data that you're seeing on what is popular. So this is where the sort of business arbitrage skill comes in. The best opportunities will be where there's lower competition but still trending interest. Lucky for us on that blog post I mentioned, there is some charted data telling us that very thing. Granted, it's from 2019 to 2022, so the data is getting less relevant with time, but I think the trends will hold for at least a little while. The genres with the highest earnings to low competition levels, according to this chart, are genres like roguelike deck builders, 4X, strategy sims, survival craft, city builders, and online party games. At the very bottom of the list is platformers, puzzle games, and FPS. So if we're looking at this and we say to ourselves, I'm doing this with the goal of making money, we should not pick an FPS puzzle platformer, which is exactly the genre that I picked when I started. And this was a mistake. The first game I made on Steam was Bounce Shot, which is an FPS puzzle platformer. Looking at the market research, though, we should actually pick a roguelike or a strategy sim or a 4x or a survival craft something uh, with those low competition but still interest genres now there is one final thing to consider and that's what you're capable of making it doesn't matter if 4x is the best opportunity if you can't capitalize and finish a good 4x game so you're gonna have to consider what you're capable of and what your skill set is you probably want to go for those smaller scale genres at the top of that chart, like roguelike strategy games. All of this is to say, a solid strategy for market research is to identify that triple Venn diagram of what is popular, what has low competition, and what am I capable of making. If you can find a project in the center of those, then I think you'll have a good idea in mind as far as picking a project that sells. Now this isn't the only strategy, and there's another sort of long-run uh, freeform strategy that I've also learned from Chris Zukowski. It's a little less direct, but it definitely is backed with evidence, and that is making one of the six kinds of best-selling games. Essentially, Chris Zukowski breaks down best-selling games into six categories, and they're identified in the blog. Each of these categories have strengths and weaknesses, places where it can go wrong, and require different kinds of devs to make them. And when I look at this list for myself, there's really only two kinds that I'm even capable of making. So keep that in mind and remember to play to your strengths. You don't have to make a game that is checks all these boxes. You just have to make a game that fits somewhere in 
one of these categories, and you should pick the one that plays to your personal strengths as a dev. Okay, let's talk about the six categories. Number one on the list of best-selling games, which, by the way, these six categories aren't ranked from number one to six. They're just arbitrarily picked one through six. So number one is games that have incredibly beautiful graphics. These games are games that sell on raw beauty. In fact, they look so good that they can become super successful even if they're in a genre where it's hard to be successful. I would say these kinds of games definitely favor those who have extremely strong art skill. I'm talking the 1% art skill. Or you've discovered a new art style that people are really loving and is getting really hot. Number two in the categories of best-selling games is the high-concept game. This is a game where its game design concept is so captivating and often new that it sells purely because it's an interesting game. There's a lot of danger here because I think everyone thinks their idea is interesting, but again, a high-concept game are those 1% of the 1% of interesting. Think of a game like Superhot. When Superhot first came out, that sort of style of game had never been done before, and it's surprisingly and amazingly cool and an extremely high-concept game idea. It's something that I think most people had never played before. And yeah, it was just new and interesting and still is one of the only games like that in its genre. If you're going to chase something like this, you got to make sure that you are an extremely strong game designer and that your game idea has an extremely high-concept and interesting idea. Number three in the categories of best-selling games is the addicting gameplay game. This is the kind of game that keeps you playing due to its strong core game loop. And this is the category that I'm currently trying to chase. I think this is the category that I'm most capable of making. We've all played those guilty pleasure, extremely simple yet extremely addicting games, and there's a, definitely a science to getting that. And if you can figure out that science, it's a high success rate path for a game. Just look at the recent success of something like Vampire Survivors. Vampire Survivors is not what I would call a high concept game, but it's just a game with an extremely good core game loop. And if you master that good core game loop, um, I think your game has a higher chance of success. This again is the kind of project that favors those devs with good game design skills. Number four in the category of best-selling games is the infinitely deep game. This is the game that has so much content and depth that players love it because they feel like it has so many new things to learn and discover and complete. It could be someone's forever game. One of my favorite games, Dwarf Fortress, is a great example. There's so much in that game that I'm still discovering new things even hundreds of hours later. Making this kind of game, though, due to its unusually deep simulation, requires a dev with strong technical skills. So if you're going to chase a game like this, make sure you have those technical skills because making an infinitely deep simulation game like this is not easy. Let's move on to the game category number five. For number five on the successful game categories, it's the undeserved audience game. This is where you find an audience that's still vibrant, but hasn't had anything new in a while. The classic example of this is Stardew Valley. The dev of Stardew Valley was trying to capture an audience that was longing for Harvest Moon games, but they stopped really making Harvest Moon games. 
So here was this audience that was looking for something that they love, and it wasn't there. They had nothing to play. And this provided a great opportunity for Stardew Valley. This kind of project requires a dev who really knows a lot about their specific genre's niche and audience. So if you're going to make a game in this um, category, just make sure that the audience is really there and you know enough about that genre or that game style or whatever it is to fulfill those audience's wishes. And the sixth and final category for successful games is the Hilarious Sandbox Game. These games are just raw fun. They have a lot of freedom to do what you want and always end in a spectacle. They're perfect time wasters and provide just that core experience of fun and laughs that video games can. Gary's Mod is maybe my favorite example of this kind of game. And oftentimes these projects favor devs with technical knowledge, as the more cool options and effects you can add to the sandbox, the better. So yeah, that's an analysis of the six categories of successful games by Chris Zukowski, and I think that's accurate for the market right now. Of course, these six categories could change in the future, but I think for the time being you should ask yourself if your game fits into any of those, or a project you want to make can fit into any of those prototypes or categories. And I think if you can frame one of your projects in those archetypes during the planning and pre-production phase, you'll be taking a good first step towards making a game that is monetarily successful. So I gave a lot of information quickly uh, packed in today. Let's do a quick recap. Today's episode was on doing market research. This is sort of a sub-step that happens in the pre-production and planning phase of a game. The goal is to identify a game idea or genre that will make it easier for the game to be successful. You want to get a feeling for what is popular, what has low competition, and what you're capable of making. Remember to make that a three-part Venn diagram to help you narrow this down. For today's current market, I would say roguelike strategy and action games are safe bets for indie game devs. But also remember that's just today. The market changes and you want to project to when the game will be finished, not started. We also talked about the six kinds of successful games. Number one is games with incredibly beautiful graphics. Number two is the high concept game. Number three is the addicting gameplay game. Number four is the infinitely deep simulation. Number five is the undeserved audience. And number six is the hilarious sandbox. Each of these categories identifies the kinds of games that are successful now. So try to see if your game can fit into any of those and lean into the ones that you like and that play to your strengths as a dev. If you're able to do good market research and correctly make these decisions, you'll have a much higher chance of having a successful game and a successful indie dev career. So yeah, I'd highly, highly recommend the market research step of the planning and pre-production phase. And there's so much more to learn about this, and a good place to do that would be at howtomarketagame.com. I didn't get a sponsor or anything like that. I've never even talked to Chris in real life. I just really value the information that he gives. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for me today. I'm going to have kind of a weird um, schedule coming up because I'm starting this new job and moving to a new city and getting into a new apartment and I won't have internet and it'll just be, like I said, a weird and spotty time uh, for me over the next few weeks. 
like I said, I wouldn't expect any streams from me till at least February. Um, there should be two new episodes of the Game Dev Field Guide out for January, and you could expect episodes to come out now at, at about that pace. I would say two per month is what we're going for. The best place to follow along and just uh, keep up on the schedule and everything would be to go on to our community Discord. There's an invite link for that in the show notes. And lastly, I just want to reiterate my thanks to everyone in the community. We together have built something that, uh, I don't know, I think we all can be really proud of. And I think it's going into 2023. I'm really excited to see where this community of ours goes. So yeah, with that, I think I'm going to end the episode. I have been Zaccavelli, and now that I've written this episode... I realize I did pretty much everything wrong for the market research of Bond Shots.